So God, we love you as we've been singing. We praise you. We worship you. And we open up our eyes and our hearts and our ears this morning to hear from you as well. And we all said together, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, thank you, band, so much for leading us in time of worship. Um, For those of you who may not know who I am, my name is Pastor Bobby, and I'm usually the one leading worship with us in the morning. And so thank you so much, Laura and team, uh, for leading us this morning. Um, Also, if you're new, we do have a new to Calvary class happening right now. And so if you came in a little bit later, there is a class happening in the Go Cafe for you. If you want to get to know us a little bit more and get connected, learn how um, to get involved uh, with us here. uh, and, and, And we would love to show you a little bit about who we are as well. It is always exciting here. For those of you that maybe just come on a regular basis, you don't get to see all of the new faces necessarily um, that happen. Every single week, there are more people that are just joining our community, which is just so wonderful. So if you are new with us, you actually find us in the midst of a a series. Uh, We're about four weeks in, and so I want to just give you a little bit of a recap so you can uh, find out where we find ourselves today. But I think for all of us, it'll be helpful just to go back over the last couple of weeks so that we can see where we're at today because we do find ourselves in the middle of a series. And so the series is, is called Listen, Live, and Learn. I think I might have said that backwards. Listen, Learn, and Live for the Father. Uh, pastor Bill, who's our interim pastor, he kicked this series off a few weeks ago. Um, and this is kind of some of the things that he brought us right off the bat. Two big ideas. He talked about judicial forgiveness and parental forgiveness. And so just to remind ourselves of it, um, I thought it was actually very important and kind of launched us into this whole series that um, when it comes to, to judicial forgiveness... Before you are a Christian, before you're adopted in the family of God, sin separates you from God. There is just this separation. But as soon as you say, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior, I'm going to follow you, you are adopted into the family. We use that language, adopted into the family. A good way to look at it is even just you bear the last name, let's say Christian. That is now your last name. You are a part of the family. And so now every time you do something that would fall short of what God would want you to do, you're not kicked out of the family. And that's where we get parental forgiveness. All of a sudden you do something wrong, just like if you were a kid in your family. If you do something that would be not in line, with what your parents would want you to do. You're not kicked out of the family. You don't lose the last name. And I think that's important for us to know as we go through this is that every time you sin, every time you fall short, you don't just lose your salvation necessarily. And I think that's an important thing for us to remind ourselves of. You're not just kicked out of the family. You need to have those reconciliation moments to bring yourself closer. But what happens is, and Pastor Bill's been using this phrase throughout the series, is that you're just robbed of the best of God, that relationship. Again, if you're a kid and you do something wrong, and all of a sudden there's this thing, that's this tension that's between you and your parents. And what we tend to do is we tend to isolate ourselves. We tend to, this is my kids do it all the time, if they do something wrong, they, before having to confront an apology, they're just feeling their feelings so deep inside that they'll just bolt to their room. You know what I mean? And they just want to be alone. And you actually isolate yourself from having to maybe reconcile a relationship. And, and what happens is the longer that that happens, you actually are robbed from the, the relationship, the parental relationship that's happening. And that's what happens even in our own relationship with God is that when we sin, we don't just get kicked out of the family, but you're actually robbed of the best of that relationship. And so you need to reconcile. You need to bring that back which is why we have moments once a month, uh, at least minimum here, when we take communion and we have those moments where we say, hey, we want to practice forgiveness and we want to practice reconciliation so that we can make that relationship right again so we can kind of be whole again. You should be doing this as a practice in your own life 
as often as possible so that relationship isn't kind of being separated. And so then the following week, Pastor Bill said, well, what is, what's the thing that we do most often? What separates us most often? And he talked about distraction, how distraction is usually what is the number one thing that kind of pulls us away from that relationship with God. And, and so he talked about, if you were here, you remember, because there was this old school country song that he, ha- he was playing. I forget what it was about, all of the things that you love. Sometimes he would say phrases like, oh, I love my family, I love dogs, I love cats, and I love God too. And he was talking about this phrase, I love God too. And what we need to do is we need to love God most. And we need to love God first, and then we love those things at a whole nother level. But sometimes we just love God too, which led into Pastor Kathleen talking last week about allegiance, how you just cannot have dual allegiance. It's, it's incompatible. She used this incredible kind of analogy from Scripture where there was a coin that had Caesar's face on it. And the, and the Pharisees were asking, well, who do we pay taxes to? And he said, well, you can give to Caesar whatever is, has Caesar's face on it, whatever has his identity on it, but what is made in the likeness of God goes to God. And it was this really beautiful analogy of saying, give Caesar your money. It's his image. He can have it. But what's made in my image? You, your life. And that's what I want. I want your life, what's bearing my image, and you can give him whatever is in his image. You cannot have a dual allegiance. It just doesn't work. And so that leads us into where we are today. So if, you, if you're new or if you haven't been here, that's kind of where we're caught up. We're talking about all the different things that can kind of separate us from the best of God, the best relationship with God. What are some of those things? And so out of that, we're going to still talk about obedience a little bit, which lines up with where we're going. We're going to end up in trust. We're going to be talking about trust a lot today. Now, there we go. There's our intro. All of us, how many of us are good obeyers? Some of us are maybe better. Who here is uh, like a good at, if there's rules in place, I like to follow them. Who would say that's kind of their tendency? And who here would say, if there's rules in place, the first thing I want to know is why and who put them in, in there and why do I have to listen, right? There's, we kind of usually fall on either side and it usually does come down to, and we're gonna talk about this often, it usually does come down to trust. Do you trust the person who put those rules in? I would like to see their face and I would like to know their reasons why and then I will maybe follow them and we'll see how that works. And some of us are just a little bit more natural, positives and negatives, to both sides. And so we're going to find out there's three different kind of categories of obedience. And, um, and I'll just start off with just some kind of like open stories so you can kind of see how these three categories work. I'll, I'll open up a little bit of my life. I like to tell stories either of my kids. Last time I was preaching, I was telling stories. I'm a bus driver as well. I was telling some stories about my bus kids. And people usually connect really well. So I'm going to reveal a little bit more about my life. I grew up on a farm. Um, and so cows, as I was even, sp- I think cows probably come up too often when I speak, but they're a big part of my life. And so we're going to go through these three different types of obediences, and maybe you can think of some own examples, and then we'll go from there. So the first one is self-obedience based on direct benefits. Three types of obedience that we have. Obedience based on direct benefits. So this is self-motivated motivated obedience. I will obey because um, it's something that I want to do, or whatever is happening, I will benefit from it. So for example, I'll kind of use four categories. I have a dog. Is anyone, who here is a dog person or a dog family? You love dogs? I kind of grew up with an outside dog, but now we have an inside dog. Her name is Rosie. Um, and so we have three boys, so our, our dog is as girly as possible. That was the, kind of the whole point. She's got pink everything. Her name's Rosie. It's a girl dog, so we have another a, a girl in the house. So direct benefits make a lot of sense. With dogs, it's like, would you shake a paw for a treat? Well, my dog says, ah, that's not so bad. I'll take the treat. I will obey because it directly benefits me. It's pretty easy. 
So growing up, I grew up on a farm, and one of my jobs was to literally go out into the field. Let's say there's 40 cows out there, and my job was literally to go walk amongst the cows and literally bring them into the barn, and I loved them. I knew them all by name. I knew exactly who they were, and the goal was to bring these 40 cows into two specific doors, and there's 40 empty stalls, and you would actually train and know these cows would know exactly where they are supposed to go, and I would guide them. So I knew who they were. I knew they were going. Sometimes it was pure chaos, but sometimes, because they knew that they were about to be fed, and because they really wanted to be milked at that moment, they actually wanted to come in. There was a benefit for them. So they would listen most of the time, direct benefit. My children, if I were to ask my kids, hey, could you sit at the table? We're having chicken fingers and fries, and there's honey to dip it in. They're there immediately. They will obey. This directly benefits me. I will enjoy this. I will sit down. The things that they will do if there's honey and chicken fingers involved, like, they'll pretty much do everything. Um, and then lastly, in our own lives, we can think of, like, I work two jobs. I, I work part-time here, and I work as a part-time bus driver. And so if they ask me to do something, well, I get paid to do it. I directly benefit from it. So if it's not a big deal, this is what I'm paid to do. I benefit. I will obey. So that's ob obedience based on direct benefits. Now, here's the thing. There is kind of a, a limit. There's always a limit on whether or not the reward is worth the behavior. That's what happens within this obedience. There will come a time where you say, well, that treat, my dog would say, that treat is not worth doing whatever it is that you're asking me to do. Um, or those cows would say, I, am, I don't care how hungry I am, I am not going to go through that door right now. I'm not coming in, I don't want to do it, uh, and then we'll talk about the kind of next. But there is always going to, you're going to run into a limit on whether or not the reward is worth the behavior. And so this leads us into the second type of obedience. Obedience based on obligation. Obligated obedience. So you obey because you have to. There are negative consequences. So the first one is self-motivated. This one is fear-motivated. It's fear-motivated. You obey because you have to. There's consequences if you don't. My dog, uh, we let her roam the house while we're away, but if she pees on that carpet, you've lost your privileges. Like, you are now no longer coming out. The cow didn't want to go through the gate or walk over the gutter. Well, we had this little device that zapped them a little bit while you were behind them, and they would then get jolted forward. There's a bit of a consequence if they didn't go through. Now, if that didn't work, then your anger would usually pour through fairly heavily. Um, but that's, that was, there was a consequence to not listening. My children, if, they're, if we're not eating chicken fingers and fries with honey, and we're eating something that's probably green or red or something that they don't want to eat as much, well, they're not leaving that table until they finish it, or they're not having the dessert until they eat it, or if they're wanting to come out of their bed and have a snack, well, you know what? That dinner's sitting right there on that table. It's wonderful. It's, and so there is a negative consequence if you do not Listen to me, that still doesn't really work too well, but um, you try. And then if you're thinking about your job or your school or whatever it might be, well, there is going to be a point where maybe if I don't do this, I'll get fired. And so even though I don't want to do it for the money, I don't want to get fired, and so I might be willing to do that because I just want to stay here even if I don't agree with it. Obedience based on, uh, obedience based on fear, um, it just, the number one thing is it doesn't create ownership. So you are not owning the thing that you're doing. You're doing it because you're nervous about what might happen if you don't do it. If all of a sudden that obligation were to cease to exist, so let's say your boss was making you do something and you're like, well, I don't really like doing it, but I don't want to get fired. If that was all of a sudden taken away, well, then you stop doing it. So if the obligation ceases, well, then so does your obedience. If it's overdone, if you use this fear-based motivation over and over and over, 
well, then you actually start to create maybe a little bit of um, like pain and hurt in the relationship that's happening because it's all based on fear. But underlying it all, just like self-motivated obedience, there is only so far that you are willing to go even out of obligations. There is some times where you're saying, I would literally rather lose my job than do this. I would literally rather get kicked out of my house than do this. I would literally rather get zapped by that cattle prod than literally do this because it is not worth it. You will only go so far in that type of obedience. And so that leads us into the third type of obedience, obedience based on trust. So you obey because the person who's telling you what to do, you really like them, you trust them, you want to be like them. Maybe they know more about what's happening and so you actually trust them because you don't really know much about this category or this thing in your life and so you actually put your trust in them. You can see this with dogs if we start with all of those things. My dog will listen to me more if you walk them, if you feed them, if you love them, if you care for them. They warm up to you. They listen, not all the time, but a little bit more. It was the same with our cows. It was crazy. They knew who I was because I was out there hanging out with them all the time. They would trust you. If all of a sudden someone out there that was random that they didn't know, they would not listen. But if I was out there or my dad was out there, they would know who you are. They would know your movements. They would trust you. You could get them to do things because they trusted you. Children, if they trust you, will actually listen more. I, I, think of, I think of maybe standing at the edge of a pool. Your kid is in there and you're in that pool and you're asking them to jump in but they really don't want to. But you're in that pool and your hands are out and you've caught them before when you've chucked them places and you've caught them, they trust you and you're saying that they are going to like it and everything in them doesn't want to do it but they trust you and so they jump sometimes. They jump and they are actually willing to do something that they didn't want to do on their own because they trusted you. Or maybe in our own lives, if there is, there's, there's parts of our lives that we don't know a lot about. For me, it's like cars. I don't know a lot about them. So every time I need to buy a vehicle, I call my brother. I trust my brother more than a salesman that I've never met before. And so if I'm going through a thing, I can ask my brother, like, oh, what do you think about this? Should I move forward? Or if I'm talking to finances, I have a person that I trust when it comes to finances, and I trust them. And they might say something, and I don't know, but I trust them. And so I'm willing to go out of my comfort zone. I'm willing to do this because I Trust them. Obedience based on trust does a couple of things. It takes you further than you're willing to go on your own. It's so important. We'll only go so far on our own. But if you trust other people, you can actually go a little bit further. It opens up your minds and your eyes to new perspectives. It deepens the relationship that you have with that person. And so all of a sudden, you've been through something together. You trusted that person with that car purchase, and it worked out really well. And now that, that relationship is actually like deeper than it was before. After that kid jumps into the pool with you, and they trusted you, and it worked out well, well, that relationship just actually got a bit of a boost, and it's actually deeper than it was before. Obedience based on trust will take you further than you're willing to go on your own. But here's the thing, there is a negative side to it. You're actually going to have to be out of control for a little bit. Obedience based on trust allows for heartbreak and pain. You could be let down. You're opening yourself up because you're not in control to all of a sudden it didn't work out and I trusted you and because I wasn't in control I opened up my heart, my life and I just got hurt and now there's pain. So there's a negative side to it as well, pieces to it. And so what I wanted to do today is actually just to go back through those three categories. 
go back through those, the self-motivated, fear-motivated, and, and love-motivated trust. I want to go through those three and talk about our relationship with God. And what I want for us to do today is actually just to do a self-evaluation. Where do we find ourselves in our relationship with God in these three categories? And I want to just even start with it right now because we should find ourselves in one of these categories, and it might be lower than we want it to be, and that is okay. I don't want you to lie to yourself and say, oh no, everything's perfect. I want you to be honest with yourself so that you can move Forward. So we're going to go back through each of these, and we're going to talk about our relationship with God. How much are we actually obeying him, and where would we find ourselves in each of these categories? We'll have a scripture or two with each of these, and we'll go into some stories as well. And so we'll go to the first one. If you have your Bibles with you, you can open up to Mark 10, um, 17 to 23, but they'll also be on the screen as well. And so we're going to talk about Christian obedience based on direct benefits. What does a relationship with God look like when you're in it for yourself? And maybe you wouldn't say that out loud because it sounds a little bad, but when you look through some of the things, you might realize we do it more often than not. So Mark chapter 10, 17 to 23. I think it's a story that we read often because it just it applies to our life in so many different ways. Mark 10, 17 to 23. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shouldn't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony. You shouldn't defraud and honor your mother and your father. Teacher, he declared, all of these I've kept since I was a boy. And so Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, though, he said, go and sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this the man's face fell. And he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. There are certain Jesus' teachings, if you've heard them, that because of who you are, because of your tendencies and bends and just how you've been created, some of them are just easier. Some of them you actually really, really enjoy. This rich man in this story found it really easy. I don't murder. I don't really want to. I don't lie. I trust people. My word is good. Me and my parents have a good relationship. Those come easy to me. He maybe even enjoyed doing that. For some of us, we have bends and leanings. Maybe it's, maybe it's social justice part of Jesus' teachings. Oh, we love whenever, uh, whenever Jesus talks about caring for the poor, for the needy, for the hungry, for the hurt. That's right up my alley. I really, I believe it deeply. Um, uh, that's, that would make a lot of sense to me, and we pour a lot of our time and energy into it, but we struggle maybe with some of the parts about relationships, with money, with giving, with generosity, and so we maybe push them to the side, but that's maybe a little bit easier. For some of us, generosity just comes so easily, we're not tied to our things or our money as much, and we love being generous. And so those teachings are teachings that we just kind of lean into. The rich man had some that were easy, but he was ignoring an entire part of Jesus' teachings, and Jesus kind of pulled it out right away. So there's positives to, to living your relationship with God based on self-benefits. Well, you're probably doing some of the things that Jesus was asking you to do. And you know what? It's good to enjoy your relationship with God. It's good to actually have fulfillment and purpose and, and enjoy doing things that you feel like you're supposed to do. But here's the thing is they usually only go as far as the teachings that we like. I think this is something that was speaking to me as I was just even kind of preparing this message is how many of the things, and we're going to do some of these questions after, how many of the things that you do in your relationship with God are the things that you just really enjoy doing anyways, and how many things that you don't enjoy you actually just ignore and you don't think about and you push to the side? 
Sometimes what we do is we, like the rich man, we maybe are coming with all of the things that we really do well, that we really like with all of the teachings, and we're holding them all here saying, look at all the things that I have done. Look at them all. And Jesus is asking a completely different question. He's like, but I was asking you to do this over here, and we're just holding all the things that we really like to do. When we obey based on direct benefits, we are robbed from the best of God. We're missing out on the whole point. There's another story in the Old Testament, and I don't have time to go into it, and it's one of those stories where you really should like, devote a whole morning because it's a little bit confusing and you need to know all of the things around. And so just a quick overview uh, is there is this king named Saul, and God asked him to do something specific, and he did it in a way that he thought best. And so he came back after completing the task, and he had a bunch of sacrifices. And he said, God, look at all these sacrifices, and I did that thing that you asked Um, And then God spoke to him through Samuel, and he said this, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. And this is a scripture that we're going to see weaved through all of scripture. It's going to come up often in Jesus' teachings. To obey is better than sacrifice. Saul, I asked you to do this, and you came back with all of the things that you thought were right, and I didn't even ask you to do them. I think of like my kids as an example. If I were to say, hey, I'm going to go grab some dinner. Would you guys set the table so that when I come back, we can eat and everything is kind of ready to go? The cups and the plates and the juice or the water, whatever it is, is all ready to go. And I leave to go get some food and I come back and they're all sitting on the couch reading books. Something that they know that I love. And I say, hey, why isn't the table like done? It's like, oh, but you love when we read books. You, you talk to us all the time about how much you love reading. It's like, yeah, but I didn't ask you to do that. You are doing that because you wanted to do that and you didn't want to do the thing that I was asking you to do. I think this is exactly what the story is. God said, I asked you to obey me and instead you did it in a way that actually pleased yourself. And we can hide in our relationship with God saying, oh, but look at all these things that I'm doing for God when really we're doing them because we enjoy them and we like them and we're maybe ignoring the one thing that God is asking us to do. Our relationship is based on direct benefits. So the, the second thing, Christian obedience based on obligation. So that was the first category. Again, we'll come back to them, and I'm going to give us some time to kind of contemplate them. Christian obedience based on obligation. So our relationship with God maybe feels like an obligation or pieces of it. We're doing it because we feel like we have to or we're being told to. Matthew 9, 9 to 13. As Jesus went from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with them and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why is your teacher eating with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And then listen to this, but go and learn, Pharisees. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Right, he's using it from the Old Testament where I said obedience, but he's talking specifically about mercy as obedience. Go and learn what this means, Pharisees. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I don't care about all the rules you're following if I was asking you to actually show mercy in this moment. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Christian obedience, our relationship with God when it's based off of obligations. How many of us and how many of you, maybe even in this moment, were made to go to church at one point? Maybe you were made to go to church at this point. How many of you were made or maybe feel an obligation to read your Bible? Because if you don't, 
there's just gonna, you're going to feel some negative consequences. How many of you maybe feel an obligation to serve or to give? All of these things, and we actually feel an obligation to do them. Who is it that's giving you that obligation? Is it a parent? And I know that there's going to be portions of our life when our kids are young and we're teaching them, and I'll, I'll talk about that. Is it a parent that's making you feel obligated to do those things for God? Is it a spouse or a friend or some sort of relationship that's making you feel obligated to actually serve God? Or is it actually your view of God? Some of us have a view of God and we feel like, oh, there's so much guilt and shame when I don't do this thing. And if I don't do it, I'm going to feel all of that. And so we actually do it out of obligation and fear, not out of a love for God. I think this is a very regular thing that we would see in our life. And maybe we go through phases of it as well. Positives. There, there are a couple of positives, right? It can create good habits and resiliency and create opportunities. So maybe you were made to go to church for a point and it actually created a good habit in your life. Maybe you were made to read your Bible for a, a season of your life and you weren't doing it because you loved doing it, but you knew that you should. And when you do that, you actually experience God because you were at church or you were listening or you were reading or you were praying. And so there is some things that are helpful when you actually create habits and you, you create this resiliency so that you know that even if you're not feeling like you want to do it, I'm still going to do it. And maybe that was birthed out of an obligation at one point. But it doesn't go deep enough to last. And I think we've seen this before, maybe in our own lives, maybe in a friend's life or a kid's life, where it was out of obligation and you saw, because as soon as that obligation was gone, then the obedience was gone as well. It could create resentment. And so if you live with that obligation for long enough, if you feel like the only reason you're doing something for God is because someone has told you to, you actually create some resentment towards that person or towards God because you feel like, I'm just being made to do it. And if you make somebody do something for long enough that they don't want to, it can create resentment. And underlying it all, it just doesn't transform their heart. And this is what Jesus was talking to about the Pharisees over and over and over. It's like, you guys just do all of these rules. Your hearts aren't even transformed towards people. I'm asking you to give them mercy. And all you care about is all of the sacrifices that you've given if you're only obeying God because of obligation, you're missing out on the best from God. And so we jump into the third category, Christian obedience based on trust. This is always love motivated. So I was reading a scripture uh, a few weeks ago from Genesis, um, kind of in my devotions, and, and a story popped up that's somewhat well known um, if you've been in church for some time. And it really challenged me because it was one that I struggled with. And it was the story of Abraham and Isaac. And there's this story in the Old Testament where um, Abraham was, was told by God, I'm going to create a great nation from you. You're going to have so many descendants, like the stars of the sky or like the sand on the shore. That's how many descendants are going to come from you, and yet he couldn't have a child. And he went his whole life, and there was this thing that just was not happening. And so all of a sudden he does. He has a child in his old age, Isaac. And then you get this story about God asking Abraham, okay, you finally have this son who you obviously love. I want you to sacrifice him. And it's a story that's always, like, been hard for me to wrap my human brain around, I think. It's, I've always struggled with it. Why would God ever ask that of somebody? Would he actually do it? And it just kind of sat uneasy with me. And I think it sits uneasy with other people as well. And as I was reading it through this time, um, I think I had, like, a new perspective that was just illuminated by a couple of things. One was, whenever we read that story, we think of this young boy, because it might say young boy or boy. And so we picture, especially now that I have kids, I'm picturing my kid, innocent, doing what a father's going to say. But in this story, Isaac's not seven years old. 
He's actually 14 to 25, maybe 27 years old as he's going up on this mountain with his father. His father's 100 years old. Isaac is stronger than his father, easy. A 100-year-old man and maybe a 20-year-old son. This was not something that Isaac was made to do out of obligation because he was strong enough to not be able to be going up with his father there. And I think this was starting to illuminate this whole story, which made way more sense that it wasn't this father's obligation to this God of sacrificing a human that just does not fit in the storyline of the Jesus that I know and of the story that I know. This story is, a, is like a foreshadow of what happens in the New Testament. God sends his one and only son, it was even using similar language, to come to this earth maybe as a whole sacrifice of himself. And you know what? Jesus was willing the whole time. And so looking at the story of Abraham and Isaac, where Abraham was saying, hey, God knows that the thing that's most important to my life is my one and only son. Do I love God more than that? And Isaac was probably, like every 20-year-old boy, maybe the most important thing in the world was him. (laughs) And God was asking him, am I more important than you? Would you actually give your whole life up for that relationship? Isaac was a willing participant. Abraham was a willing participant. It was not some... Um, like some picture of a God wanting some sort of sacrifice. He cares more about obedience than sacrifice. It wasn't about the sacrifice ever. And you look at the story in the New Testament of God sending his son, and Jesus was a willing participant, not someone who was sent for his own life that he didn't even want to do. And it just illuminated. Sometimes we read into stories, especially Old Testament stories, and we read into them in a specific way in our context that they were not meant to be written, or even the the point that we're taking was not the point that was meant to be brought out. And I think that really illuminated that story for me. Obedience based on trust means that you're literally willing to do something that you would not do on your own. It pushes you further than you're willing to go on your own. In our relationship with God, it stretches you, It grows you because you're doing things that are uncomfortable. It deepens your relationship with God. Let's look at Jesus' story in in John 6, 38. I came not to do my will, but the will of my Father. Everything he did, he was asking the Father, what do you want me to do here? It's not my will, but your will. Even when it got hard, John 26, 36 to 39. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled because he was about to die, and he knew it. And so he was feeling grief and pain and hurt and nerves and anxiousness and fear. And so he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Could you stay here and keep watch with me? And so he went a little bit further as they were praying, and he fell on his face to the ground, and he said, Father, If it's possible, please take this cup from me. I don't want to die, is what he was saying. Father, as he was praying, I'm nervous, I'm scared, I'm full of fear. I don't want to do this. And he was being honest and open. But then he he follows it up with, but yet not as I will, but as you will. So I don't want to do this, but I know this might be something that's hard. It's probably stretching to, to Jesus, who was also fully human, doing something that was bringing him those feelings, and yet he was willing to say, yet not as I will, I will trust you in these moments. Did Abraham do it out of self-motivation? I don't think so. That was the thing he loved most in the world. Did he do it out of obligation? I just don't think that was the relationship that was happening. He felt so obligated that he would sacrifice his son, and that's not really what was being asked 
I don't think Isaac did it and neither did Jesus. You don't die out of obligation. I think they trusted God. They knew God, they loved God, and then when they came out on the other side, when Jesus went through all of those moments, when Isaac and Abraham went through that moment, they probably came out of that with a deeper relationship with God than they had ever had before because there was fear, they were out of control, they trusted God, and God came through with a provision. You know what I mean? Where that relationship now hits the next level. And so those are the three categories that I would love for us just to take some time to actually self-evaluate. Where do we find ourselves more often than not? Where do you find yourself this morning? Maybe it's different than where you found yourself a year or two ago. But I want us to do this self-evaluation. Actually, the band could probably come up here too because I actually want to do just a practical thing with you. I want you to read these things. So self-evaluation. So the first one, Christian obedience based on direct benefits. Are you following Jesus and are you in it for yourself? Are you participating maybe in only the parts of Christianity that make sense to you? And you're not doing a darn thing about the things that you're confused about or nervous about or, or you're, you're not sure about or that are really hard. And we asked this question in our meetup, and so I put it up here. I put it up here as well. When we were meeting up, we were talking about Jesus as we're going through the book of Mark, and I thought it was just a good question. So I want you to think about this, uh, and we'll, I'll give you some moments after I go through them all. What are your favorite parts about following Jesus? What are some of the things that come naturally and easy, and when you do them, they feel fulfilling? Maybe it's giving. Maybe it's serving. Maybe it's caring for the hungry, the poor. You know, what are the favorite parts? What are the ones where you're like going through your devotions, like, mm, I'm just going to read this again because I really like it and it makes a lot of sense to me. What are the things that we're maybe doubling down on? And then we need to ask ourselves, though, which parts are most difficult for you? What are the hardest parts of Jesus' teaching for you? And it might be different than somebody else that's around you. What are ones that you ignore? What are ones that you struggle with? What are ones that um, you maybe don't fully understand? What are those parts of Jesus' teachings? Because he might be literally asking you to do one of those, and he probably is. Stop doubling down on those things you find easy, and I want you to work on this because I want you to learn to trust me. And so we can go through those two. The second, are you following, are you following Jesus, and maybe you're motivated too much by fear? Are you here because you're maybe more scared of not being here? Right, so I was thinking maybe a helpful thing would be just to, to close your eyes during this part and to picture. Maybe you went to a new city. Maybe you got a new job. Maybe you moved to an entire new part so there is no obligation anymore. You don't feel any guilt from a pastor or a friend or a neighbor or a parent. You're in a new place. This happens often in our lives when all of a sudden as a student you go to university for the first time and you don't have that obligation from your parents maybe. And now you have the choice. Are you excited to actually maybe find a new church community? to actually start some new things in your life where you can read and you can pray? Or are you actually, when you're picturing that, when you're taking some mental time to just picture that new season, are you actually taking a bit of a deep breath and being like, oh, finally, I can actually breathe because I felt so much obligation. That happens often. I think most of us have probably seen that in our own life or in the life of someone close to us. That happened often, I think, when COVID hit. We saw it. It was like a social experiment, to be honest, from the church side, of who is actually breathing for the first time because they felt so much obligation. And they were stuck in this, this, this way of life where they felt obligated. If they didn't show up, I'm just more nervous about not being there. Maybe because of God, maybe because of a spouse, maybe because of a pastor, maybe because of whatever it might be, a neighbor or a friend, but it was actually more obligation. I thought it would be good. Go through that mental picture. If you were to do that, what would you feel? Would you be excited about the new neighborhood that you get to share, share Jesus' love? Or are you more excited about taking a breath and a break? Because we can find ourselves on either side of that. 
And then the third thing, are you following Jesus because you know that you trust him? Right? Is, is, it, is it Christian obedience based on trust? If so, maybe ask this question. What's one of the last things that you did? Can you recall it? Actually name it. What's one of the last things that you did out of obedience to God that was difficult, that you didn't want to do, that was out of your comfort zone? Again, we're going to have different things for each of us that might be those things where you gave more than you ever wanted to give, where you actually used your mouth in a conversation to talk about God because that freaks you right out. But you knew that this was something that maybe spirit was asking you to do. And so you went out of your comfort zone and you trusted God and you did it. When's the last time that you've done something out of your comfort zone? Because that might show you how much you rely on trusting God. I was convicted myself, again, as I was writing this in the office. I was talking to Steph. I'm like, I think I just convicted myself as I'm, like, preparing this thing. Where there's things that we do in our life that are just, like, everyday things. Maybe you come to church every week and that's really easy and it's just something you do. Maybe, for me, it was is giving. I really do love being generous and I love giving. I find it easy and enjoyable. And, and so now the way that we do giving is just a lot of every two weeks it comes out and it's, a, and it's a, um, an amount that at one point we decided I haven't thought about that amount in a little bit other than some of those side giving projects that we come to and I felt guilty of like I, I don't even think that I'm going out of my comfort zone now with my giving because it's just gotten so normal and I'm just doing it out of actually obligation and I'm not actually trusting God with it and I know we don't like talking about money or finances in here too much but are you actually trusting God enough that it's actually uncomfortable when it comes to giving? Or is it just something that you do out of obligation and you say, hey God, look at all the things at the end of the year when we get our, our returns. Oh, look how much I gave. I wasn't even asking. I don't care about your money. I care about your obedience. I wasn't asking you to do that. I don't need it. I want your life. That coin, that denarius with Caesar, he can have it all. I want what was made in my image. I want you. And so listen to what I'm saying. How often are we listening to the Spirit's voice and how often are we just doing the things that come easy and natural? And so are you living your relationship with God through trust? I'd love for you to think about that. We, we'd say a phrase, or at least I say a phrase often, what's the next right thing for you to do in your relationship with God? And it's going to be different for all of you. We say it on our worship team whenever we're talking. I want you to be fresh. What has God been speaking to you this week I don't care what he did, not in this moment, I do, but I don't care about what he did three years ago. I want to hear what he was speaking to you in your devotions this week. I want it to be fresh. What's the next step for you? Is it serving? Is it giving? Maybe you're in the same category as me where it's like, oh, I actually haven't trusted God financially like that in a little while. Maybe it's baptism. You say, ah, I've been putting that off, and that's actually something that's going to be out of my comfort zone. Maybe it's leading or serving or giving or, or whatever it might be teaching of Jesus that you find hard. I'm sure that's what he's asking you to do. And so I just want to close in prayer, and then the band's just going to play kind of in the background while you maybe look at that. I want to give you a few minutes to think, to ponder, to do some mental pictures of what that might be. Maybe it's a first step. Maybe you're all the way back to when I first started talking about maybe I just need to be adopted into the family of God for the first time and feel that mercy, forgiveness, love, joy as a part of the family. So let's just take a few moments and let's use those questions. You can put them on the screen. We won't worry about the words right now. And we'll just use them uh, of that evaluation. We'll just use that as something that we can go through. So God, as we just take a few moments, as we breathe, as we've set a time aside to hear your voice, we actually actively open up our ears to try and listen to it. Maybe some of us are just going to stop talking because that's maybe what our prayer life is filled with and we're just going to listen. 
Would you, maybe in each of these categories, would you speak something? Would you reveal something to us? Whether it's a scripture that's been read, would you reveal yourself in it? Would we be honest? Would we not be scared to say, yeah, I think I find myself there? And would you point us into what the next thing is that you're looking for when it comes to obedience from us? So we love you and we thank you. And I pray, amen.